Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 141. The keyboard is still king. Recorded April 27th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that is not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and I am joined, flanked on my left and my right, digitally, um, by the your friends and mine, Chris, the command line godfather, and Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hey, gentlemen, how are you? Hey, Mark, doing pretty good. Glad to be here today. Doing well, doing well. Yeah. So for those of you uh, watching the Hangout, uh, first off, I apologize. Uh, Seth is doing his uh, his impression of the Invisible Man on holiday in Venice, um, <laughs> playing with the new Google uh, Hangout effects. So It's all Chris's fault. Blame him. Enjoy that. It yeah. is. It is all my fault. I will take the blame. I, I'm the one who made the comment about, hey, look at all these cool new effects. And now we can't get Seth to yeah, Seth is unbreak himself. He is, he's no longer, he, uh, Seth is gone. Um, he'll be back momentarily. He's been eaten <laughs> by zombies is what happened. Seth is no more because the zombies got him. Yeah. I went to a, uh, a zombie race 5k yesterday. Uh, basically, if you don't know what that is, it's a, 5k obstacle course things like you know climb over a wall crawl through a mud pit wade through a stream carry a sandbag all these kind of things there was all there was two things i couldn't do one of them was well actually we were pretty much both placement issues or i would have tried them like they had this rope climb where you had to like climb up a rope and ring the bell at the top but it was like right after the mud pit so it it was slimy because everybody who had tried it before my hands were slimy and so i put my hands on the rope and they, they just slid off. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And then they had a, a wall climb kind of close to the end, but, um, kind of like if you've ever done rock climbing, you climb, you know, how it's like the handholds. And the thing was at the bottom, there was such a huge gap. And, you know, I'm so fat and I was tired by that point. And so I just, I couldn't lift myself up over that first gap. And so I walked around that one, but, uh, the the straight wall I kind of halfway jumped over and fell over and then the the angle thing you had to run up got a big strawberry on my leg because I didn't make it the first time but uh I made it up that and over barrels and stuff like that it was kind of fun and I lost all three of my life points plus I treated it like a video game I was running long and saw this flag laying on the ground so I like picked it up and put back one that had been taken off so um <laughs> You know, I'd like, hey, bonus life, but I still lost them all. So not only did I lose the three I started with, I lose the two more I found. But it was fun. <laughs> so was it uh, like at the obstacle, not being able to go up the rope that the zombies got you? No, the the obstacles were designated safe zones. Uh, so they 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 could only get you like in the open spaces between. Okay. Um, and it like right at the very end, there were like so many zombies. You couldn't get around them. I, you just tried to had to run through and, you know, I was, I was too slow at that point to out, out, outrun them and they, they took my last flag. So were the zombies required to shuffle as zombies are factually proven scientifically to do? Well, I mean, you know, they, they did not. Well, there was this one little kid dressed as a zombie and he would like sprint after people. But I, by the time I got to there, they had moved him. So all of the, all the zombies, they would kind of walk and lunge at you, but they wouldn't run. Or if they were running, it was kind of a shuffle. And so I could outrun them, 
but you know, when there's in so many proximities and you try to stay close to the lanes, it was, uh, it was too much for me to dodge them. Other people made it through, but I couldn't. Well, the real question is, did you have fun? I did. It was, uh, it was an accomplishment for me. You know, like I say, I, I tried all of the obstacles. I didn't just like, I can't do that. It's like, I gave it a try. And some of the ones I didn't think I would be able to do, I was able to do. Um, so yeah, I, and I, it wasn't fun in the hoo-hoo. It was like, Hey, I can do this kind of thing. So. Well, at least you had fun doing it, Seth. That's all that matters. Um, would yeah. you do it again? I'm actually kind of, uh, my goal is the savage race in September. It's a 10 K obstacle course with harder obstacles. So I can't do it today. Like if it, if it was this weekend, I wouldn't be able to do it, but by mm-hmm. September, I, I think I might be able to do that. Awesome. Yeah. It, for me to run literal zombies would have to be chasing me. It's just, uh, yeah, it's not in the cards for me right now. Uh, well, and you know, and some of the people didn't run, they were just kind of walking it. Right. So, <laughs> and it, it took me like an hour and 15 minutes to finish because, uh, you know, part of that was waiting in line because there was this like little seesaw thing you had to walk over and, you know, there's only like two of them. So there's this big line of people there and you just got to wait to get across. Um, but it was cool. Well, at least they had safe zones, you know, so that way you weren't, you know, um, having to worry about that. Right. So, uh, you know, anybody watching this over at uh, elementopi.com slash live um, would really see the ludicrousy of the fact that we're having this serious conversation with Seth um, as he appears <laughs> right now. And right now my irony meter is just pegged full. Uh, those of you just listening, it uh, sounds perfectly normal. Everything's fine. What's not normal is my house is, is in some sort of weird Bermuda triangle of technology all of a sudden. Everything I own is dying. It's it's ridiculous. Um, my media center PC, my beloved home theater PC, will no longer boot. Uh, it oh. does it doesn't appear to be a drive issue. I think it's just the the fans and the intake port finally got so fouled that it burned the chip up because it's six years old and it's been running twenty four seven for six years mm-hmm. and it's a little ion processor. It's just gone. I tried blowing it out. I uh, can't, I mean, you can take it apart, but it's not meant to. I'd have to unseal the case to do it. There are no screws. Right. So I, uh, um, tried blowing it out. I even went and got one of those, uh, laptop fan things that you put under a laptop to keep your, your lap from oh, getting hot. Yeah. Thinking that might shove some air through it. And that got, got us through about the first 10 minutes of Frozen because clearly that's all we ever do in our house is watch Frozen. <laughs> um, but it just died. So it just, uh, it, it, it's gone. Um, which, um, brings me to something I will discuss in a minute. But first, that's not the only thing. Uh, today, my 11 year old comes to me and says, Daddy, the, the computer in the living room is doing something weird. So I go, go in there and the something weird is the Windows, um, disk repair utility. Uh, that okay. The power went out yesterday. And, uh, apparently it didn't just go out. There was more that went on. Uh, uh, and so the, the disc won't boot. Spinrite won't even recognize it as a disc anymore. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that means the disc is fried or the controller card, that section of the motherboard is fried. Um, so I'm going to have to figure out what's going on with that. And on top of all of that, I dropped my phone and cracked the screen. 
Jeez. <laughs> so it's just not been a good week for technology in my house. And and just we, we're starting the show late because I came down here to do the show and like all my laptops suddenly started fritzing out and I had spent half an hour trying to sort all those things out. It's just weird stuff going on. It's not good to be something I own right now. Well, honestly, Mark, you're not the only one that's having um, issues with hardware. Uh, my Boris box decided to go out um Tuesday, and then I've been having these weird intermittent issues with my network where I would be working fine for 15, 20 minutes, and all of a sudden there'd be zero traffic at all on anything in the house. And yeah, I don't know exactly what was causing it, except for every time I found there we lost network, my son's computer was blue screened. Weird. Mm. So I'm thinking that when she that you know his little machine that could could would, would blue screen out it would flood the network with sin packets yeah. which would cause the network to stop working so the easy uh way to uh try to verify that is unplug it while it's blue screened yep and the second i did that or just turn off the machine yeah yeah and the, and i turned off the machine and all of a sudden my network's worked again weird but it didn't, you know, the router still lost its hard drive. So I, I, I'm on my backup Zeus router and it's, it just can't handle the power of my network. <laughs> yeah. Your, your, uh, whopping five kilobit download speed. What is that? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. My, my horrible download speeds of whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm scheduled to get 12. I'm supposed to be getting 12 to 15 oh, nice. down, but, um, I don't ever get that at ever. <laughs> so uh, up to so you get up to twelve down. Yeah, yeah I get up, up to, to those magic words. Up to means anything above zero, we're okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in in the interest of the show, a having a new home theater PC, b and having a fun project, I've ordered a couple of Raspberry Pis that are going to be awesome. my new home theater PCs. I'm going to run. Um, the uh Pi XBMC um thing on it and I'll I'll see what happens with all that I got two, so I'm gonna have one downstairs and then I'm gonna try to have one upstairs that with no media attached that just that uses Wi Fi over the network to drain off of the one up top. Um mm-hmm. the the downside there is I was gonna uh I I now I'm now short a Plex media server and there's no way the Pi has enough guts to do that. So that was going to be what I was going to use the cert, the living room computer for, but apparently that's not going to happen now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I told my wife it's a business uh, expense because we'll probably get two or three shows out of it. Um, there you go. And so yeah. that's how I was able to play that. Plus, I mean, I got a Raspberry Pi with an SD card and a case and the power supply. A whole kit was 60 bucks. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of – I can get two of them for less than the cost of one – um, like uh, Aspire Revo type machine that I'm using now, a little net top box. Uh, and so, and what it, it can't do much more right now than just XBMC. It is my Plex server too. And maybe it was all that transcoding that burned out the processor. Maybe it just that could be. killed it. Um, yeah. So that'll be, uh, some fun stuff to look forward to. We'll be doing that, uh, in the near future. I, I'm a Prime member, so they'll be here tomorrow or, or Tuesday at the latest. Uh, and I'll get to play with them. And so next week, I should be able to, to have some updates on my experience with the Pi. Cool. 
I can't wait to hear that. Yeah, it'll either be good or it won't. I guarantee it. <laughs> um, and uh, Seth barely made it here to us tonight. Once again, um, spring in Northeast Texas is a treacherous time. A couple of weeks ago, he barely made it from ice falling from the sky. Same situation, but a different type of ice tonight. Ah, uh, hell. Uh, yeah, we had, uh, we had hell, uh, at my house. It, it, I was, it was about 10 minutes before I was planning to leave anyway. It was some thud, thud, thuds on the roof. And I was like, wait, what? And so I look out and it's hailing, you know, starting off pee. And then I noticed, man, some of those are grapes. And then I went, what's bigger than a grape and smaller than a golf ball? <laughs> I went, oh, foosball. How could I not think of that? Ping pong. So yeah, well, no. And then after foosball, I was like, Wait, that's bigger than a foosball. What's bigger than a foosball but smaller than a golf ball? And like, ah, ping pong ball. So there were, there were some ping pong ball size hell at my house. And I don't remember, I mean, it's held before, you know, I live in East Texas, but I don't ever remember that size. I've seen like, you know, maybe foosball before, but, um, there was like five to 10 minutes after the hell had stopped, there were still ping pong size, um, visible in the ground so uh you know and plus when they hit i mean it was making it the house was shaking you know yeah, boom, yeah. Boom, boom, on that metal roof so good cool stuff and for those of you who didn't uh while away thousands of hours on the college campus like seth and i did foosball is another word for table soccer soccer um, yep. and seth and i spent roughly a billion hours doing that instead of going to class <laughs> yeah i mean you know that that, that Probably at at least one whole point off of my GPA, my freshman year, can be traced back to the foosball table. Yeah. You know, another point would just be skipping class in general, but at least one point right. was pure foosball. I uh, there was a there was a point in time, Seth and I had gotten so good from literally doing nothing else that a visiting German uh, foosball champion who just wasn't there because he was a foosball champion, he just happened to be visiting and he was a foosball champion, uh, challenged us. Uh, the two of us. I think was he was you, Seth, right? Yeah, challenged the two of us to uh-huh. uh, a, a doubles game, and we beat him handily, him and his partner. And so then we went hand uh, uh individual heads up, and both he and I beat him handily, like you know, uh, two sets uh, out of three, uh, wow, pretty, pretty easily. And then he refused to play, and and I'm pretty sure I picked up some German swear words. Um, <laughs> at the time. um <laughs> Uh, so it was, that was, of course, he might not have been a champion at all. He was, he was from Germany in Texas. He might have just been making that up to impress us. However, his skills did not impress us. Um, right. And, uh, but we were world class, uh, foosball players for a time there. Not so much students, but <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I was, yeah, Mark had the finesse kind of you know make that ball do all kinds of pretty things and i would just slam it until i broke your man <laughs> basically <laughs> yeah i yeah? i learned the art of of angles and spins and i could i could literally make the ball turn around on itself and and it was awesome and and then i tried to play recently and got schooled by a 12 year old because <laughs> i'm old now and i don't have the reflexes i used to and i haven't played since 20 years yeah yeah it's it's sad. I wish I had not done it because I could have just remembered those glory days. But now yep. I'm a broken down old man. I'm Rocky, you know, fighting Tommy Gunn. Um, right. It just <laughs> I, I just wish that had never happened. See, I had the same instance, but it wasn't foosball. Um, in my college game room, it was a ping uh, a ping what that a pinball game. 
I probably dumped, I don't even know how many dollars, hundreds of dollars of quarters into that pinball machine. And we'd always have a, there would always be a challenge going on on who could have the high score and how long you could keep the high score because there was a battery backup on that pinball machine. (laughs) So the scores would stick. I don't know who put it on there, but somebody put a battery backup on the pinball machine. So that way we would always have this running challenge. And, you know, for what was it? I think I had my high score up there for, oh, it must have been at least two weeks. So for two weeks straight, I was the king poop on on Poop Hill. And then uh, (laughs) somebody came along and, and knocked me off. I I understand that whole missing class because of goofing off. You know, I, I probably lost. I probably lost at least a point and a half or two. I, I forget who it who it was, but the quote goes: "College is a fountain of knowledge, and most people are there to drink." <laughs> um, Seth, Seth and I aren't drinkers. We had to have something else to do. Oh yeah. Um. um so Google Voice. I Chris put this in here, and I was going to talk about it too. Google Voice is being integrated into Hangouts. Yep. That's not a bad thing. However, in doing so, they're killing XMPP support, which means my beloved Obihi is going to go silent on March 15th or 14th, whatever it is. Yeah. If you don't know what the Obihi is, it's a, it's a basically a, a little um, asterisk box that's like four, two inches by three inches square. Uh, by half an inch, a tiny. You pay thirty bucks for it. You hook it up to Google Voice, and you get free international or uh, national rather uh, calls, uh, incoming, incoming, and outgoing, and it's awesome. Um, and I got that email, and and my heart went sad. And uh, so I'm looking now for an alternative that doesn't cost me anything. Not just because I'm a cheapskate. I mean, I am a cheapskate, but not just for that. We just don't use a home phone that often. Um, right. It's for kids to call and talk about nothing. And we don't always want them to, to, you know, occupy my phone or mommy's phone for, uh, you know, for 45 to 50 minutes while they don't talk about anything. Unfortunately, a lot of the things that, uh, that I'm replacements that I'm looking at, while their prices are reasonable compared to phone service prices, they're still, you know, 80 or a hundred dollars a year. And we right. just don't use it in that much. It's not, it's not worth it. So I'm looking, I, I want, I want everything and I want it for free. Because I'm an American, dang it. Uh, so right. um, if anybody out there knows of a way, and I'm fine with doing multiple services. I've got the Google Voice number. I want to keep that number. I've been telling everybody that's my home phone number for two years now, ever since we moved to Georgia. But, you know, the beauty of that is I can forward it anywhere in the country. So yep. if somebody knows of a system where I can do, there's it has, it has to have three things that are critical. Um, it has to uh, be able to, Direct dial in using my Google Voice number or transfer to it. It has to be able to call out using that number. So I've got to be able to spoof that caller ID because when I call the pizza place or when I call somebody, I need to have my Google Voice number show up. And it can't be more than like three bucks a month because it's just not worth it to me to pay more than that. I don't want per minute charges. I want to know what I'm going to get every month. Uh, I was looking at call centric. I think it was their rates are a penny a minute. That sounds reasonable, but that I don't know how long my kids are going to be on the phone. I don't know if they're going to lay it down as I've seen them do and walk away until the battery runs down. And I don't want to be paying even if it's as low as a penny a minute for that. So that I'm calling. Expensive. Yes, I'm calling on the vast power of the Element OP network, and I'm fine if it's not the same system, right? If I have to have one system that I can call out and spoof a number, and another system for direct dial. 
I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm geeky. I can handle that. Um, and, you know, don't tell me uh, that I can use the web to make Google voice calls out. No, you can't explain that to a five-year-old. Um, well, it's it's not worth explaining that to a five-year-old. So I need something that is five-year-old approved. They can just pick up the phone and call their little friend. Um, and I need something that won't cost me more than, you know, a couple bucks a month. So hmm. I, I keep hoping somebody will fill that. It's not, it can't be that expensive. Maybe it is, but I just don't, if Google voice is doing it for free, it can't cost that much. Google's not just going to eat tons of money. Are they? Maybe they are. I don't know, but maybe the solutions, maybe, maybe that's why they're dropping it. Yeah. Well, they're not really dropping. You can still do it from Gmail there. The service is still there. They're just taking the XMPP support out which is what the OBI depends on. So I can go to the to go, go to Gmail or go to Hangouts and make a phone call. The service is still there. It's still free. Um they're just dropping that one piece of integration. Yeah. And and I'm fine with that. I don't get me wrong, they totally have every right uh to do that. They they have um it's their service. They can cut yeah. it off, they can start charging for it. In fact, I would prefer that they start charging for it. If I could keep the service I have right now for a few bucks a month, I would do that. I'm fine with that. But just making it go away entirely, you know, leaves me um leaves me in the in the dark. And uh fellow in the chat room, Hussein Al Shahi, I'm gonna say is his name, uh says it sounds like I'm a guy looking for a Ferrari for a buck. You know, I'm asking if I can get a Ferrari for a buck. I'm fine with that. And and trust me, the Google voice over the OBI is no Ferrari. The call quality is suspect. Um, calls don't always come in. Sometimes they go straight to voicemail without ringing. There's problems, but I'm willing to live with those problems because I'm not paying for it. Right. Uh, so it doesn't have to even be great. It can be lower than cell phone quality. That's fine. It ju- I just need a number. I need a, uh, a system that my five-year-old can use to call and talk to her other five-year-old friends. Right. Well, and the, my point was on this subject is that they're actually going to get rid of the Google Voice app for your tablet or your phone and yeah, you integrate use hangout yeah yeah they're they're putting it all into hangout which means if you're using sms through the google voice number it now shows up as a hangout and is interchangeable between your normal google chat and sms well i've been doing that on my nexus 5 for a while now they integrated sms uh and hangouts and i like it actually and i've been doing it and it's, and it's fine um and once Google Voice goes into that, it'll just be another number that shows up. That that doesn't bother me. And I, and, and I think the people who are concerned about it haven't had that experience because I think it's only the Nexus devices who can do that right now. Um, and I'm happy with it. It doesn't bother me at all. I, I deleted um, hand-sent messenger. I, I don't use it anymore. Uh, uh, so th- I'm fine with that. Uh, one less app on my phone doesn't bother me. Yeah. I just thought I'd bring it up because I know um, I just now – to, um, not today, but yesterday, uh, I noticed that I was getting SMS in my Hangout app and not in my Google Voice app. And I didn't know if it was something that just was new for me or if it was for everybody, but I know it was just kind of off putting that all of a sudden things didn't work like they did. So See, I'm really not seeing that yet. I still have the Google Voice app. Uh, although I'm looking here, nobody sent me a text message in a long time. But for voicemail and calls, it still looks the same. So maybe if somebody sent me a text, it would show up in my Hangout. But I don't use my Google Voice for texting. Oh, see, I do um, because it's cheaper than 
any other way. <laughs> well, the trouble with that is they there's an arbitrary limit. If you're using it too much and, and there's no definition of what too much is, they, they cut you off for a day. They don't mm-hmm. throttle you. They just make it go away without telling you. You just suddenly your messages stop going out and you don't get any messages back in. And so that's why I stopped using it. Uh, you know, my wife and I would be having an ongoing conversation about super sexy things like dinner. Um, <laughs> and the messages would just stop because Google had decided I'd used it enough that day. No more text for you. Uh, I never had it. I've never had it stop. So, uh, I must not be in the heavy text level that you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't really much anymore, but back a couple of years ago, I did that. And maybe somebody will tell me they don't do that anymore. It was, uh, but, uh, I would be texting. I used it for work. I used it for home. I used it. That was my primary method. I, I used it to send all my text messages, uh, through both my Google voice number and my, uh, regular number. I had them all going that way. Right. Um, and they just, just stopped. No more hmm. text for you. Um, so anyway. Okay. So that's, that's my whining and simpering and imploring. I, I think there's a place here and, and maybe there's just not, maybe it's too expensive. Maybe it just can't be done, but I think there's a place here for somebody to come in and set up a service like this. Well, isn't that similar like to me. what you're looking for? Isn't that similar to, like, say, Magic Jack? Um, you know, I'm familiar with Magic Jack, but doesn't it require a USB phone plugged into the computer? You can't use it with just a regular phone, can you? No, yeah, the new one, the new Magic Jack Plus. Okay. All it is is got a network jack and a phone jack attached to it. Well, can you I spoof pl- my Google Voice number with it? I That I don't know. I, I'm not. I, that you can do call with forwarding with it, so I don't know if you can spoof it though. Yeah. Have you looked at OB or OBI Talk and see if it's um if because apparently they are offering some type of thing for people who are in your position that will cost less than forty dollars a year. Yeah, so they say, but then you go look at it, and the less than forty five, uh, less than forty dollars a year plan is for like two hundred minutes a month. Um, oh. And I have three daughters. There's no freaking way I'm going to keep it under 200 minutes a month. It's just not possible. Right. right. And yeah. so I, I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll call the phone company. See about just adding a phone. Just this, I'll, I'll call this cell number, my home number. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and cause I've got phones laying around that are old. Um, and I can just uh, tack it onto my minutes. I get tons of rollover minutes with AT&T. But no, it's it's all, well, you got to scrap that plan and go to our family share plan and share data. I don't want data. Well, we just don't do that. If you want this, you still have to do the family. So I even hung up before they even finished the sentence. And then I thought, well, let me call my cable provider mm-hmm. and and see if I can get a, a VoIP phone, 40 bucks a month on top of the, the money I'm already paying now. Ouch. I don't want that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm being unreasonable. Maybe I am. But I, I'm just looking for something that, that is a consistent, you know, four or five bucks a month that I know is never going to be more than that, um, that, that works. I don't need international calling. I don't need uh, any of those super advanced things, three-way calling. I don't need that. I just want to be able to make calls. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, an unusual animal. Hmm. Well, I know I'm an unusual animal, but maybe this is another example of that. <laughs> I'm sure. 
Okay, so we'll stop my whining and move on into the listener feedback. Let them let you guys whine for a while. Uh, first off, Michael has a laptop suggestion. He says, I really wish I wasn't backlogged on pad- podcasts because I would have suggested you look at the MSI GS70 laptop. I love mine. Um, it's meant for gaming, but uh, it isn't one of those large, ugly, robot-looking gamer laptops, which he's referring to my Asus Republic of Gamers, and that's one of the things I liked about it um for a 17 inch screen this thing is thin and fairly light i7 processor nvidia nvidia graphics that can run three displays ssd and spinning discs it's a sexy beast anyway i'll keep up the great podcast first thanks for thinking they're a great podcast secondly man that's expensive <laughs> i googled that and like the cheapest one i found was 12.99 and go up to 1700 hey i don't want a 17 inch screen and I, I at that point it's a desktop it's not a laptop mm-hmm. anymore um, and I was looking for something, um, for that kind of money, I, I would have bought a MacBook, frankly. Uh, no, I wouldn't have, uh, you, yeah. couldn't, you can't get one for that. You, you'd have to go up to 1800. So anyway, um, so there's a recommendation. Anybody else looking for a gamer style laptop, the MSI GS 70 looks like a good machine from the reviews. Uh, just not what I was looking for. Yeah, it looks like an interesting laptop. It looks like they've really spent a lot of time, uh, designing out the, Way to, to cool the, that heavy GPU processor they got in there and that i7. Um, I'm just kind of going through the website right now, looking at all the different things they have. And wow, they stuffed a lot of stuff yep. in that little laptop, considering it also gives you a 4K output for screens. Um, I, you know, I don't know what it is about it, but I love the idea of a color keyboard that you can just customize to your heart's consent. One of the things that I looked at was uh, um, System76. Uh, I was a big fan of their servers back when mm-hmm. I was doing that. I looked at their laptops. They have a, a low end, a medium end, and a high end, and they they're all they start very expensive. They're high quality uh, systems, but you know, I just again, he, I didn't. Not nothing there spoke to me. So I looked at another Doghouse Systems, is a company I believe out of Austin. Uh, that I used to use a lot back in tech or used to hear about a lot back in Texas. I never used them and their systems again, great systems, but with a great price tag in the end, I just bought this middle of road machine. And so far I, I don't regret that decision. Hmm. Uh, so moving on, Nigel, weighs in on broadband. He says, the discussion about internet speeds in various countries was particularly well-timed from my perspective. Uh, At my home in the rural area of UK, I get 2.5 megabits down and 0.25 up. Uh, This is with a copper connection. I just have to break in here, Mark, and say, Nigel, you suck. Okay, Mark, (laughs) back to you. Okay. Uh, A friend of mine who lives about 80 miles away has fiber, so I took a laptop with me to my last visit to do some tests. Sure enough, fiber is fast. 49 megabits down and three up. However, I ran a number. By the way, that's way asynchronous. Uh, Here, for 49 down, you'd get 10 or 12 up. Um, That's really low upstream. Anyway, uh, sure enough, uh, fibers. However, I ran into a number of download tasks, which I often run at home by way of comparison. Downloading large video files from the BBC was barely twice as fast, and video streaming, BBC and YouTube, was a little better. Possibly less buffering, but that's about it. Everything I tested was definitely faster and smoother, but in no way proportionate to the increase in bandwidth. My brother who lives in London gets about 8 meg down, um, speed over conventional copper, and he can watch HD streamed video full screen, which is every bit as smooth as I saw on my tests on the fiber connection. 
seems to me that the bottleneck when accessing a lot of popular media sites is the server rather than raw bandwidth. That being the case, when the benefits of high-speed broadband are proper, uh, probably be, excuse me, that being the case, then the benefits of high-speed broadband are probably being oversold. My guess is that a lot of people who already have a reasonable connection speed are going to be disappointed when they upgrade. Uh, yeah, I mean, here in the U.S., I don't know about uh, the U.K., but here in the U.S., YouTube sucks no matter how fast your bandwidth is. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, the cable companies in particular throttle it. So you might have 40 megs down, but you're going to get 500K to YouTube because they're trying to squeeze out a few more dollars, which we'll talk about a little later on in the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guys have any comments on that? Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, you know, that's very true that part of the issue could be the servers that you're reaching to. But, you know, there's some sites that, you know, that say like Netflix, for example, that have peering arrangements, even with them. They still have buffering issues in some areas. Yep. Um, like for me personally, uh, during, you know, I'm at here at the house. I don't, ha- I have DSL, so I don't, I'm not in that pool of connections that I have to worry about. Like I did when I was in cable. Um, when I go to a buddy's house that's cable driven, when he's, in, you know, so he's sharing his connection with the, the whole neighborhood in that pool, you know, there's, there's times in the day when Netflix, you can't even get to period because his bandwidth is just zapped out from everyone around him all trying to do the same thing. So, eh, you know, yeah, I think you're, you're right. Some of it has to do with the, with the servers, but it also has to do with how your bandwidth is brought to you as well. Seth? Well, no, I pretty much agree with that. It doesn't, you know, one, you have to get to a certain level of downstream speed in order to get that comparison. And I would say at the 2.5 you have, in a lot of ways, you've already reached there. Whereas somebody like me, 0.75, if I double that, I'm going to notice a huge difference. So it depends on what speed you're starting at when you upgrade. And then it depends on, you know, one, what browser were you using? Because, you know, you could be using something like Internet Explorer 7 or 8 that comes on your Windows system, and it doesn't matter how fast your connection is, it's going to suck. Um, you know, and then also, what are you going to hit? Are, are you trying to hit something that everybody else is hitting, or is it that time of day when, you know, everybody's trying to use bandwidth? So there are multiple factors, but um, once you get to a certain point, it's kind of like, uh, you know, your computer needs RAM, but once you get to a certain point, you don't notice a benefit. But until you get to that point, every little bit, you notice a whole lot. Yeah, and and another thing to think of is you were, uh, what else might have been going on on the network while you were doing your tests? Mm-hmm. Um, br- broadband speed for a single laptop, right? So you're, um, there's only so much broad uh, bandwidth you can use on a single laptop, but you know, I got five people living in my house and, and I've got phones and computers all over the place. So for me, everything that comes in is being split several ways. Uh, right. so I need that bandwidth, uh, just to be able to keep up. I get, um, I'd have to look. I think it's 15 down and, f- and, and 1.5 up. Um, and that, that suits fine until three people try to watch Netflix at once. Yeah. Uh, and even at that point, 15, it, it can't do it. And I suspect it's more, 
the router not being able yeah. to, to because it's time sensitive, not being able to assemble all those packets in the right order as fast as it needs to go uh, than the bandwidth. But, you know, bandwidth is certainly a big piece of it. I can uh, there can be times when my home uh, network is running sluggish. I switch over to 4G, which is, you know, generally 20 to 30 megs in this area um, and everything gets a lot better uh on my phone so it just depends on what's going on and raw bandwidth is simply one metric in a, a whole system of overall health right i was gonna i was gonna bring up the router issue too that maybe the router his router is different is is can handle a, a different load there's also um a lot of internet service providers cache um speed results Yes. So you may be hitting the same speed result and getting um, someone else's cached uh, result because the ISP stored that uh, that transfer in their internal servers. So you know you may be seeing forty nine megs down, but you're only actually and that's and you're only getting that from a burst traffic where an extended l- length download you drop down to five yeah. or something. Well, and we've talked about it on this show in the past where a lot of times companies just flat out lie. You know, they know those like uh, speedtest.net, DSL reports, had, and there's several well-known ones that if you go to that, you know, oh my gosh, I'm getting my full bandwidth. Let me try to watch Netflix. 15 minutes later, I've watched one minute of the movie, you know, and because <laughs> because it's been proven pretty conclusively um that they just flat out either they um they have a quality of service set up to give those high priority or they just flat out lie um about those so you know you think you're going to speedtest.net but their dns entries has speedtest.net resolving to your router and so (laughs) my gosh you're getting blazing fast connection um and you know you there's just no way it, short of having like some type of VPN service, um, there's really no way to know for sure. You, you're, you're trusting your ISP. And of course, I mean, we know that ISPs are totally honest and would never lie to you in any way, um, to give you good quality information. Well, you know, we, we can't speak for British, uh, ISPs, but here in the U.S., yeah. you can tell they're lying if they're talking. Their lips yeah. are moving. A lot. <laughs> only the evil capitalists, um, ISPs are the only <laughs> ones we can speak it to, um, speak about with authority. All right. Next up in the queue, Addy thinks that we've been a bit unfair to Windows 8. Now I'm going to read his whole rather lengthy email, including a plug to his own site. Um, without comment, I'm going to let Seth and Chris comment and then I'm going to have some things to say. So just, just so you know, here's, that's the format. Wait, says, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I think we both, all four, or all three of us, should hold comment until the till the uh, the the piece of literature that you're going to read yes, is read. I'm read all of it. Okay. Um, he said, uh, Addy says, first of all, let me say I really enjoy your show, and I've been a pseudo listener for about a year now. I say pseudo because I don't catch every episode, and the episodes I do catch, I don't necessarily listen all the way through. So please keep that in mind. If any of my assumptions below are incorrect. I was listening to the recent episode um, where Mark was talking about the new laptop he purchased with Windows 8, uh, and there were quick mock apologies from everyone. Mark then went on to say that he quickly got rid of Windows and spent an entire day trying to get a Linux distro installed on that machine. 
found it quite humorous that Mark was so quick to scoff at Windows 8.1 and then opt for an OS that he admittedly says is not for the desktop user. Doesn't this seem a bit silly? Uh, From this and previous episodes, I get the impression that the guys on the show have not spent a lot of time with Windows 8X before declaring it awful and horrible. However, other than the Metro interface, which can be quickly minimized, the difference between Windows 7 and Windows 8 are pretty minimal. I will admit that when I started using Windows 8X, I hated the lack of a start button. However, I forced myself to learn a couple of keyboard shortcuts. Windows Q is your friend. And after a couple of hours, I didn't mind the differences. After a couple of days, I even came to prefer Windows 8X to Windows 7. Heck, I even, even the entire, I even have an entire monitor now dedicated to my Metro tiles, which is awesome. Uh, this, it may be worth mentioning that I've been a Windows user since 3.1. A couple of years ago, I bought a MacBook Pro and learned to use OS X10. Uh, that's just for Seth. Uh, the story with OS 10 was very similar. I learned the basics, did some configuring, and after a while, I came to f- prefer OS 10 to, over Windows. Then with Windows 8X, Microsoft won me back, and now I prefer Windows 8X to OS 10. Though I still think OS 10 is a great OS from a user's perce- perspective. And Mark, if you get a MacBook Pro, I encourage you to use the OS. Learning something new is always good. Also, I really only use Linux from the command line, so I cannot speak fairly without a com- uh, about a comparison from Windows to Linux. But in terms of Windows to Windows or Windows to OS 10, Windows 8X is better than Windows thus far. I recommend that you make yourself spend some time with Windows 8X a week at least. Learn some shortcuts, get it configured how you want it, and I bet after just a week or two, you come to prefer it over Windows 7. Love the show and keep up the good work. Addy P.S., if you give my radio show a shout out, that would be t- awesome. The Addy and Gabe show at addyandgabeshow.com. And I'd be happy to give you guys a shout on my, out on my show as well, which I have before. So there we go. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on what Addy had to say? Well, I don't know how much I should make comment because we do have a long, well, hopefully not a long show, but it's kind of my thoughts are going to be f- you're going to have to wait till later in the show to hear all of my thoughts. Um, but I will say this, that I have spent time in Windows 8. Um, considering my day job, I have to administer a school network. And so I had to spend, um, like I do with all my other distro reviews, the whole 30 days in a distro. Um, I spent 30 days in Windows 8 at work in order to... Um, give my opinion on where we should have the student machines, the teacher machines, and etc. Um, so I have spent more than a week in Windows 8, and I will still agree that Windows 8 needs some work. Um, I, I think it's a it was a half baked potato when it came out and it was originally sent out. Eight uh, one helps it a long way, but I think once the next UI update comes out, Windows 8 might be a much better system, but I'm going to hold that comment back until the UI changes come out with the next run of updates. All right. Invisible Man, what do you have to say? <laughs> um, I have a Windows 8 uh, transforming tablet with a keyboard, and, you know, I mean, come on. Windows 8 sucks, period. To, to defend it, okay, I mean, maybe it's better than Windows Millennium. Um, you know, uh, 
I don't know. But no, I, I put Classic Shell on mine, and I do like the Classic Shell interface better than the standard Windows 7 interface. Um, if you have a touch device, the Metro apps are good. But if you are a keyboard and mouse user, I just, I do not like it. It isn't, it isn't. It isn't good for me. I much prefer the start programs. That's more how I am. And as far as for my time with Mac, you know, I've never had one long enough to use it and get involved and learn, you know, take my body of computer knowledge and apply it to a MacBook. I've only had it long enough to exhaust my vocabulary of curse words. Um, so, you know, I mean, I use Windows 8. And like I say, the first thing I did was put Classic Shell on it so I could actually use it and not just look at it. But um, if you have a touch device, you know, Windows 8 is not bad. Um, but if you don't have a touch device, if all you have is a mouse and keyboard, do yourself a favor, put on some type of skin such as Classic Shell or other ones such as that or downgrade to Windows 7 because the whole Metro interface, I don't know, maybe... Maybe if you think a certain way, it works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Um, I do not like it. Um, just like I don't like green eggs and ham. I will not try them, Sam. I am. <laughs> so, but I have one and I use it on a regular basis and I still don't like it. All right. And, uh, so my comments, I actually went back and re-listened to that section of the show because what, what Addy, his impression there was not how, what I, how I remembered doing the show. So I went back and re-listened just to make sure that I wasn't seeing things through a different lens. I actually never said anything negative about Windows 8. Seth did, but that's what Seth does. That's his shtick. This is a show. It's what we do, all right? Part of it is us being honest. Part of it is characters we play. Um, So I didn't say anything derogatory about Windows 8. What I said is I didn't like it. I'm allowed not to like it. I gave it a day with uh, 8... Point oh, I gave it about half a day with eight point one. I didn't like it. I went back to uh, to uh, uh, Linux, and yes, I spent a long time trying to get Linux installed. Let me let me re clarify. The problem was not Linux. The problem was not installing Linux. The problem was getting to coexist with Windows eight on the machine. I popped in a clean drive and had uh, Linux Mint installed in about twelve minutes. But what took me most of a day was trying to get it to coexist with Windows, which doesn't want anything to coexist with it. I had to do some funky uh, Ubuntu boot repair thing uh, to make it work. Um, I had to I had to do a number of things just to get the two things to coincide. And and I've heard people say, uh, and we've reported it on the show, uh, that people say you can't run Linux with UEFI with uh, with Secure Boot. That's not true. I'm doing it right now on this laptop. Mm-hmm. I have Secure Boot turned on, and I'm running Linux Mint, and I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to boot it up in legacy mode. I didn't have to do any of that. Um, the only funky thing I had to do uh, in Secure Boot mode was it didn't find the EFI file on its own. I had to go manually choose it, go down to the the USB folder, the boot folder, the EFI folder, and boot uh, uh, what I think it was called boot.efi. That was only during the install off the USB drive. Maybe if I was installing off a CD, that wouldn't be a problem. Subsequent boot after I'd installed it, I didn't have to do any of that. It just worked. Um, so let's you know, let's make sure we've got our criticisms in the right vein. Um, I didn't have trouble installing Linux because of Linux. I had trouble installing Linux because Windows didn't want Linux on the machine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I yes, I did say 
that uh, Linux is not, you know, is not uh, um, ideal for the desktop. That's these are the things that this show is about. We 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 give help. We we give support, and we whine when it's appropriate. Um, one of the and premises, sometimes when it's not. Yeah, one of the premises <laughs> of the show from the beginning, 141 episodes ago, was that Linux sucks on the desktop more than it should. Um, and when we have the guys from the Linux Foundation on here, one of my questions is going to be, why does Linux on the desktop still suck after all these years? Um, we recognize this as a problem, and, and it's the same way that I can say that my brother-in-law has bad breath. Um, it's because I know it to be true, because I live with it, but not right. because I hate my brother-in-law, not because I hate Linux. The reason I put Linux on this machine is because I like Linux. The reason I didn't have it on my old machine is the proprietary NVIDIA drivers wouldn't work with it properly. Actually, it wasn't the NVIDIA, it was the audio drivers. But anyway, um, audio is fairly important for what I do. Um, so I tra- kept trying. I went back several times trying to install Linux on it and never could get one that worked. This new laptop works perfectly. I'm, I'm using Linux because I like Linux, because I want to use Linux. And spending a day installing it and trying to get it to, co- to coexist with Windows is fun. That's what I like to do. I'm it's a geek. problem solving. Right. So I knew I could have popped out the drive and put a clean one in and been fine. I knew that from the beginning. The challenge was figuring out how to make it work. It's what I like to do. So I didn't, I don't think I was silly. Um, and I don't think I was derogatory. Seth was, but again, that's what Seth does. Now, uh, regarding OS 10X, um, I have said many times, that I don't like the way Mac OS does things. Again, I'm allowed not to like it. Um, I never said it was bad. In fact, I think it's a solid, stable, high-quality OS, and I think the hardware is probably the best you can buy. I just don't like it, personally. Yes, I've spent time with it. I had one in my possession for an extended period of time. I didn't own it. It was a loner. I didn't like it. Even when I went back, when I when I started installing uh, OSs on this machine, I went to Elementary OS, which is, for all intents and purposes, a Linux clone of the Mac OS. The same things I didn't like about the Mac OS, I didn't like on Elementary OS. Um, I ended up dumping that and going with Linux. Uh, I did the Mate version. I didn't like that, so I dumped that, and now I'm using Cinnamon. There are things about Cinnamon I don't like. That's okay. I'm allowed not to like things. One of the beautiful things about Linux is you you get so much more power to customize, to change things. If I don't like running Cinnamon, I can go to get GNOME 2 with just a few Ooh. key cl- clicks and do it and go back to it and, and be fine. I can go to KDE. I can do that. That's one of the things I like about Linux. Um, so anyway, uh, and yes, I've been a Windows user since Windows 3.1 as well. Uh, I've been a Windows user since it was called DOS. Um, you know, I started doing this stuff back in, uh, 1988 on using before the, even the x86 architecture even existed. So I think I've earned some credentials there, um, as somebody who has experience and it's the problem is not that I didn't give it enough time. The problem is that I just didn't like it. If it was a work thing and I had to live with it, of course I would learn to live with it. This is my personal laptop and using it should be fun. So I'm not going to use something I don't like. In an in in an event, environment that's supposed to be fun. That's my comments on what you had to say. Not mad at you. I just want to make sure that we set the record straight. Mark, quit being rational. You know, Sorry. you take all the fun out of the show. 
when you're when you're fair and well balanced like that. So you're gonna have to stop. All right, I'll uh, I'll, I'll go back to being crazy, and Lance will help me with that with his uh, offering for some more bad movie. Fodder. He says, hello, EDL guys. The other day, my wife and I were looking for a movie on Netflix and found Revelation Road. My goodness, it was awful. I figured the next step would be to inflict, I, I mean, inform you of it and see what you guys think. Uh, a high point for me, I burst out laughing the first time this happened. It was when two of the biker gang antagonists leaned out the side of a building while spying on the protagonist. They looked like Boris and Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Cheesy sound effects, CG effects, cinematography, scripting, and acting make this such a bad movie, it might just be good. But that makes me wonder, how do movies like these make it to the big screen? I mean, there has to be at least one guy standing in the back that loses it and screams, What are we doing? This is terrible! Anyway, keep up the good work. Uh, so, I haven't seen Revelation Road. Um, I see that it is being highlighted and searched out right now in the notes, and I will check it out. But it reminded me of the worst movie I've ever seen. And I had blocked it out of my memory. It's so bad. Uh Um, and, and that is stone cold featuring Brian Bosworth. (laughs) If you enjoy bad movies, you must see this movie. Seth is laughing because he saw it with me. Okay. Let me set the stage in the, the college town where we went to school, there was this crappy rundown dollar theater. So, Theaters start out nice and new, charging you 17 bucks a ticket. And then when they run down, they become dollar theaters. All right. This place on Tuesday night had 50 cent movie night. <laughs> I demanded my money back. It was that bad. One of only two times in my life that I've demanded my money back for a movie. And I wanted my freaking 50 cents back. This movie was so bad. Since then, I have developed you know, uh, an appreciation for the bad movie. So I may need to actually go back and see if I can find it somewhere. Stone Cold featuring Brian Bosworth. That name sound familiar? He was a football player on the 85 Chicago Bears team, if I remember correctly, the Super Bowl team. Uh, Brian Bosworth is not an actor. He's a football player. And as an actor, he's a very good football player. Um, There is exactly (laughs) one song for the entire soundtrack and they just play it anytime music is required. Um the the special effects are non-existent, they are not special. There's just a guy riding on a motorcycle through a cardboard set. There there are no effects. There's no CGI, there's no acting, there's no discernible plot as I recall. Uh simply it was basically this badass motorcycle guy is co-opted by the cops to to become a guy who takes down other badass motorcycle guys. If I remember that correctly, Stone Cold featuring Brian Bosworth. Check it out, but don't say I didn't warn you. I don't want to hear feedback saying this was a bad movie. I'm telling you, this is a terrible. Movie. Yeah, this isn't this isn't bad in Sharknado is glorious bad. This is like you know you need to take your throw up bag with you um, if you watch it bad. So just yeah, be forewarned. <laughs> I'm googling it right now, Bosworth. DVD. Um, oh yeah, you can get it out there. It's out there. Oh, and looking at Revelation Road, I, I will unfortunately I will take ownership of this one and tell you why it is so bad. It is. Oh, but wait, wait! I have to stop here. IMDb gives Stone Cold three out of five stars. Wow. What? Huh. Okay, go ahead, Seth. 
I was going to say, uh, Revelation Road is apparently a Christian movie. And unfortunately, I'm a Christian. And unfortunately, Christians think you can just throw up crap and call it Christians and other Christians will pay money to watch it. Um, and that seems to be what this is about. So, um, that's how come that is so bad. And it was so bad. There was apparently a sequel. There's a Revelation Road 2. Um, so I, I don't know if you would want to watch it. It, it, also got two stars from IMDb, but unfortunately that seems to be why it is so bad. And this, some, um, this is something that may be changing a little bit, but like I say, as, uh, unfortunately there is a, uh, there's this thing in Christian circles to let's just throw something out there and Christians will watch it, whether it's any good or not. Um, like I say, I'm a Christian, so I can say that and you can, you can send your letters to me, um, if you want to, but I mean, come on, guys. We can do better. Okay, that's the end of that. Stone Cold is on Netflix, not streaming, but you can get the DVD and send it to you. Uh, here's their review of it. Football star Brian Bosworth hits the big screen in this 1991 biker gang action spectacular as Joe Hoff, a short-fused cop hired by the FAI to infiltrate the Brotherhood, a team of drug-running bikers led by the evil Chains. Hoff goes undercover as John Stone. But his bloody initiation into the Brotherhood has unforeseen consequences that set the stage for nonstop action, culminating in a brutal and massive street brawl. Hmm. And they give it two and a half stars. Um, wow. They, they given it way more credit than I remember. Maybe you need to revisit it. Maybe. It might not be as bad as I remember. Or maybe it's every bit as gloriously bad. Speaking of gloriously bad, Matt... I don't know if you noticed it. Those of you who check out the show notes has renamed the the links section of the show at the end. I loved it. He says simply, "I propose a new name for Seth's links, the slash dev slash random of the week." So I've called that section. I did that starting last week. It's now no longer tips of the week or links. It's called dev random because I thought that was awesome. I, I live up to that this week. I just want to let you know uh, that's a <laughs> teaser. Uh, you guys stick around to the end, but I definitely live up to that this week. So we've complained about Windows 8. We've taken a listener to task. We've uh, talked about bad movies. Clearly, it's time to do an ad. Uh, (laughs) Clearly. I'm not so good at this now that I look at the show notes. Uh, (laughs) So let's talk about our friends over at linuxacademy.com. If you want to learn what dev random means and why it's important, they can help you out. Uh, linuxacademy.com. Uh, I, I feel like I don't even have to go through all this, this spiel anymore. You should know this. Um, if you've been listening for any time at all, you know that A, they're our friends. B, they're high quality. Uh, see, we believe in them. Uh, Linux Academy offers step-by-step video courses, um, YouTube-style flash uh, video, uh, but it's not just flash. It's mobile-friendly as well, uh, that cover everything. The, the goal of their site is to take you from being a, a, a novice to an administrator. It used to be uh, just a plain Linux administrator, but now they're throwing in Amazon Web Services in there. They're throwing in... Um, uh, uh, What's the other thing? Anyway, I just blanked on it. They're, they're working on some new stuff, but the, the important thing is that you can go there and you can learn how to be better at what you do. Addy said he uses the command line almost exclusively. Uh, well, there's a whole section there on how to use the Linux GUI. Maybe, maybe you are deficient in that. Um, you can check that out. There's, there's, uh, they're now, uh, CompTIA and, uh, LPI certified. 
as a high quality content. So you can get your LPI level one and your Linux plus certifications, uh, through them. Uh, you log in and they have their, um, their, uh, module system that they call it. Uh, and you, you look in and you say, this module is called, uh, uh, beginning Linux. Uh, and it gives you the history and everything. It tells you what videos are in it, how long they're going to take, not just videos, but also downloadable PDF study guides. So that if you're a paper and pencil kind of guy, you can work along with them. But not only that, there's time coded, um, uh, guides that go with it. So you can say at, at, at from six minutes to six, seven minutes and 12 seconds, they talked about this. And so you can skip around and they, they offer all that sort of stuff at no additional cost. Just it's an all you can eat buffet of learning. Uh, once you get in the door. How much is it going to cost you to get in the door? About a dollar. You can start 14 days for a dollar. You get a 14-day a trial. It's not fully unlimited for that 14 days, um, but there's certainly enough to figure out what you can do. I think you can download a video a day. You can you can take a couple of quizzes. Oh, quizzes. They they have not only the PDF study guides, but they have the quizzes and the test and also practice, practice exams. So they get the LPI uh, level one practice practice exam. And so far, 100% of the people who've passed the practice exam, I can't say the word practice today, have, have taken that exam and gone and done the uh, the certification have passed. They have a 100% success rate right now. I don't know who else on the internet can say that, but I know that linuxacademy.com can. So once you've, you've looked around for 14 days and you've decided you're going to uh, pay for it. That's when they really stick it to you. That's when the high priced, uh, high pressure thing comes in. That's when they really rake you over the coals at $19 a month. How about that? That's if you pay annually. If you want to go month to month, you're not sure. You're not, you're not a commitment kind of guy. You're not ready to put a ring on it yet. They really jack up the prices even more and it's $25 a month. So $25 a month for, for all this amazing stuff. And it's not just the videos. It's not just the study guides, but there's a, a whole community of, of, of people there who are going through the same things there. They're active forums. The, the, the teachers, real world instructors who are doing these things are at your disposal. Uh, some of the feedback we've had from our own audiences, they pose a question or make a suggestion. And within a day or so, it's happened. The thing that they wanted to see is there. Uh, Anthony and his team are really paying attention and and listening to their audience because they're trying to grow this thing. They're adding content all the time. They're looking to double their content over the next couple of months. Um, and you can do all this for as low as nineteen dollars a month. But if you really want to 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 uh, pay the high rate, just twenty five dollars a month. That's less than a couple of pizzas every month, and you can get a new career. Think about that: a new career for twenty five bucks a month. It's just, it's unheard of. Where else are you going to get that kind of knowledge? Well, Seth is about to tell you. Well, I went online, you know, and as uh, I normally do, I wait till Mark starts talking to see what real world things are out there. And I found a place that you can go through their course setup. It doesn't tell you how long it will take, but it's $750. And it seems to be kind of comparable. But so for going through their course, um, however long it takes you, you could get like really three years of the Linux Academy. And not only that, you get more at the Linux Academy. It's just, you know, they get my money. I don't, I don't give out my money, um, very easily for stuff. I only spend it if I think it's really worthwhile, but, um, I pay for the Linux Academy. And if you know me, you would run and pay too, because if I pay for it, it's gotta be good. Um, they are $750 for this one course or, you know, even doing the month by month, $25 a month for everything you get at the Linux Academy. It, it's like a no-brainer kind of thing. 
Yeah, and it's maybe the only site on the web that has both command line Godfather approved and GUI Kit approved. Yeah, now, I don't know how they walk that line, but they managed to do it. And they do a right. very well, and they do a very good job of it. Um, I was just looking through some of their stuff the other day, and it was exactly the right steps. Um, so it was like they literally plucked it out of my head and put it out there for everyone else to have. So it's a great site. Um, definitely go out there. It's worth every penny they're asking and then some. Uh, I'm honestly surprised that they haven't raised the rates even higher because it, it's worth it. So when you go, use the referral code Everyday Linux in the referral box to let them know that we sent you. Thanks, guys, for sponsoring the show. And uh, not only that, thanks for putting out awesome content. Um, so we're going to move on now to the tech news of the week. Seth, I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to get to all of these. So as we're talking about things, think about things you want to do and things you don't want to do because uh, we're already an hour in uh, because we talked a lot like we tend to do. Um, <laughs> but I love the headline. Seth does all the headline writing uh, if you've ever read the notes. And I love this one. Facebook now bringing bank malware to a phone near you. Yes, apparently... Um Android or Google Play has been getting better at cleaning up some of the, um, making it harder and harder for malware to get on your site. And so now the um, malware writers are looking at apps such as Facebook to, uh, you know, they can like infect your Facebook account on your computer and then sideload malware onto your Android phone with that. So it, this isn't like a necessarily a slam on Facebook. This is just like, Google is raising the security bar. And so, you know, it's harder for just, you know, malware laden apps to be uh, found in the Google Play Store. Not that it's impossible, but, you know, it's a little harder to do that. And so now, you know, they're in the, they're in this business to make money. And unfortunately, they make a lot of money. So they're not going away anytime soon. But now they're seeing that it's easier to kind of sideload through some app such as Facebook rather than trying to get you to load um, just a, a random app out of the blue. So it's coming in through your PC rather than and using your PC has kind of like a side road into your Android device. So, by the way, we're on the, while we're on the topic of that, everybody who listens to this show is probably an advanced user. And if you've got an Android phone, you probably have that little chat box check that says, uh, install apps, uh, third party apps. Uh, that's a security risk. Don't do it. Uh, it's fine if you know what you're doing. Turn it on just to sideload something, then turn it back off. Don't leave it running all the time. Yep. Um, if you get stuff through the Play Store exclusively, the odds of you getting infected go, c- go down tremendously. Um, so just a, a little security thing there. I, I know we're all geeks and we like to turn that thing on. We're, we're running ROMed and rooted and, and we already have all that, but just uncheck that box until you need to download something, then check it again. Um, just a little uh, tip from me to all of you. And it's such an easy thing, you know, that, you know, like I'm actually trying to think of where, if I left that tick box on or not, when I installed the last humble indie bundle, um, I don't remember now off the top of my head. So when we get done at the show, I'm going to have to go look. So that way I can untick the box if I need to untick it. I just went and looked on mine and it was on. So I turned it off and that made me, <laughs> made me think. Now our next story, um, sort of, uh, um, dovetails onto the Easter egg show we did last week. Uh, but you remember that, uh, that, uh, flaw? that we talked about where you could do a, a certain chain of uh, 
commands and get into. And remember how the router manufacturers were all gung-ho, we fixed that. Download our newest update. That flaw no longer works. Well, they were right. But they didn't take it out. They just moved it. Yeah. Yeah, it's they they now made it kind of harder to get to. Um apparently it has to be come it has to come from like the LAN. So unfortunately, if you're in, you know, whereas on your at your house you have either a cable or a DSL router and everything on the other side of that is the WAN to you and your LAN is what's on the inside. Well, to your ISP, everything between that router and their backbone is their land. So somebody on their land can send a specially crafted packet and access that back door. So, you know, originally the thought was, hey, this was something that just somebody used for testing and they forgot to turn off. Well, now apparently it wasn't just used for testing. You know, it was something that people wanted in there. And, you know, there are legitimate uses for that. You know, if they're trying, for example, if you're on the phone with like, with your ISP and say, Hey, my, uh, I'm not getting internet or whatever. So the guy executes this command and says, okay, are the lights on your router blinking? If so, then, you know, he's established connectivity. And so, you know, it's not like this is necessarily a bad nefarious thing, but it is a potential security flaw to you. Um, if you're running the stock, whether, you know, Linksys or whatever, then you probably have this. And again, like, um, DDRT or whatever, it, this particular flaw, I don't think is found in there. Yeah. And, and what that says is that this was not a mistake. This, yep. this it, is a flaw, but it's not a mistake. Yep. This was it's done somewhat- on purpose. And when they had the opportunity to fix it, they put it back in and added features. They they added more commands to it, so now it's even more, there's even more things they can do. So right. you know, if you ever needed a reason to run a Boris box, I think this is it. Tinfoil hats unite and start installing Boris boxes because this is um this is unacceptable in lots of different ways. Yeah, Either that or I, you know, go out and spend the time to set up your DDWRT. Um, and it's. You know, like I, I just jumped over to DDWRT to take a look and see if, you know, my little Zeus box, how well supported it is. And it's it, according to what I'm reading here on the how to log, you literally say update this firmware and then add and then that gives you the opportunity to then install the correct firmware to then be running DDWRT. Yep. And it says in the it says timeline for completion. In the wiki part of it, it's a, it's like fifteen minutes. So, yeah, that's if yeah. if you're one of the more ro- modern routers that that you can do that. If you got an old one, uh, probably not. But mine, for example, my uh, I, I'm I'm reluctant now to even say what what box I'm using. That how sad is that? <laughs> my particular box, however, is on that list that uh, can be updated automatically. Uh, well, not quite automatically, but you just download the the image and go. Yep. Okay. So next uh, up on the list, you know, in the in the wake of the recent uh, SSL um, debacle, fiasco, problem, I, I really think it was just a glitch is the better way to put it, that led to Heartbleed. Uh, the Linux Foundation has decided we need to put some real effort into these things that have become internet uh, backbone. 
Yes, and they have announced really one of the biggest collaboration projects ever put together. And so companies such as um, Cisco, Dell, Facebook, Google, IBM, Intel, Microsoft, you know, um, like Rackspace, VMware, and a whole lot of others, they have started and they joined this collaboration project to fund these open source apps. Like one of the things, the Heartbleed um bug i mean really that's that's what it was it was a bug one of the things this bug showed is how much this open source project is utilized you know on the internet and yet they have basically one full-time developer um you know so you know think about that microsoft has thousands of developers for their product uh you know google thousands and or apple thousands of developers um Open, uh, open SSL has one, uh, you know, and that's not to say other people don't contribute, but they're just kind of, it's a labor of love when they've got the time. Um, they have one full time person. And so it, when you think about it like that, it's kind of a miracle the, the internet works because it's, it's all run on like shoestrings and duct tape kind of held together in the background. And it's just, uh, you know, it, it just looks pretty on the surface. So, um, these companies are, you know, they're going to put some money behind it to kind of get the code cleaned up, pay for development, uh, get it done right. And, you know, people write code, people make mistakes. There's mistakes in code. Sometimes, you know, there's plenty of stories out there where, um, you know, the NSA has paid for these weak keys to get in. And we say the NSA because we know they've done it. Every spy agency has done that. Uh, companies put back doors into their software. It, these kind of things happen on purpose, but they also happen on accidents. And we need to get the accidents cleaned up so we can you know, concentrate on the other stuff. But, um, so that's what this is about. You know, I'm kind of glad the Linux foundation is kind of spearheading and, uh, they're kind of, um, they're kind of not necessarily the leader in the amount of money pursued, uh, or given, but they're kind of the leader in the, we're going to get this done, um, aspect. So reminds me of that quote from the movie Armageddon, which might be a candidate for a good, bad movie. Uh, where, where the Steve Buscemi character says, you know, we're sitting on four million pounds of fuel, one nuclear weapon, and a thing that has over 270,000 moving parts built by the lowest bidder. Um, and so that's that, this open SSL thing, uh, the 60 plus percent of the traffic on the web goes through this thing, and there's a guy in his basement working in his spare time. One yeah. guy. A guy. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm sure there are, there are other contributors. But there's one paid guy. Yeah. So, and it doesn't mean that the guy isn't outstanding, but there's still a guy. Yeah. You know, five or six average people will probably be able to outproduce one certified genius. Um, you know, I don't know. That would be a neat study. How many average people does it take to surpass the work of one gifted person? Um, in, in something like that, that would be a neat topic, uh, for debate and study. I don't know. I just thought of that. I'm, I'm in a random mood tonight. <laughs> hey, did you know that open office isn't dead? A, a lot of, what? a lot of the geek community jump shipped to, uh, LibreOffice when the community forked it, uh, because Sun, uh, Oracle just 
they were they were sitting on it. It's not that they were doing anything bad with it. They weren't doing anything at all. Well, it turns out they decided they didn't want it at all. They dumped it to the Apache Software Foundation, who uh, didn't rebrand it under the Apache license, not all of it, but some of the code that they could. The new code is under the Apache license, which is a much more liberal license, by the way. Right. Um, and uh, they're still going strong. Most geeks don't know that. Once we turn our back on something, once we say, you're dead to me, we don't look back. <laughs> but uh, well, there are a few people still downloading this thing. Yeah, they're up over... Well, and plus, Open Office is the one like the mainstream media talks about whenever they're talking about um, alternatives. So you don't hear the you don't hear regular media people mention LibreOffice, but occasionally you hear them mention Open Office, and so that got all the geeks out of the water real quick. Whenever the regular media started talking about it, but yeah, um, over one hundred million downloads in less than the two years it's been a uh, part of the Apache Foundation. So this isn't in the history of Open Office. This is merely since it has become uh, part of the Apache Foundation. Um, and again, you know, compared to the number of uh, licensed Microsoft is sold, that's, you know, that's not a big number, but, you know, I mean, a uh, hundred million times has been downloaded, and I don't think that's one person re-downloading it. You know, that's at least three or four people. Uh, so, it. interesting bit of trivia. When I was uh, rolling out Star Office in the school where wow. I worked, before it became Open Office, Star Office 6, uh, it was still a paid product by uh, Sun at the time, um, and uh, but it was free to schools and individuals and students. So, we were rolling it out in our school. So, I had to do uh, some training on my staff. We dumped a Microsoft Office 97, that's how old it was, Um and moved to Star uh, to Open Office six. Um, excuse me, Star Office six, before it became Open Office. And so I did a little research on this. And you know how Star Office came about? There was a company called Star uh, Systems, and they were making a a Microsoft Office competitor. Uh, Sun decided they needed to upgrade their version of Microsoft Office that they were using. They were going to upgrade company wide. They discovered it was cheaper to buy a software company than to pay the licensing. For Microsoft, so that the, that's what they did. They bought that's, Star Office because it was cheaper than upgrading Microsoft. That's wow, horrible. Uh, and then, being the savvy people that they are, they said, "You know what? We can write off almost this entire amount if we open source it. So we can buy it, save money, write it off if we create a, the foundation." So that's what they did. Open Office was born out of that. Mm-hmm. So because it was cheaper to buy a software company than it was to upgrade the licenses just for the, the internal use of Sun. That's where OpenOffice came from. Hmm. Makes you wonder about how they did, why the the uh, um, licensing thing is such a great and horrible thing. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to, again, we're running super long. Seth, pick two. Highlight them for me, and I will read um, you in. I think we have here. to do that one. Which one? Uh, yeah. yeah, and then uh, we'll we'll end on this one. Okay. So, uh, a recent that I want to put this in the right context. This is not yet the law of the land. It's a proposal that's still in the early stages, that's being considered. But this new FCC pro- proposal would effectively destroy net neutrality. 
Well, and also the head of the FCC is a former big wig, I believe, at AT AT&T. So the head of the governmental oversight that's supposed to stick up for the little guy used to work for an ISP. So, you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to be for the little guy or, you know, and of course, I'm not saying that anything, um, you know, underhanded is going. Of course, I'm not saying it's not either, but, you know, it's just it's kind of sad that the government is basically giving in to big business and saying that, hey, if, if you want to use the Internet, you not only have to pay to use it, you have to pay to use it at the speed you've already paid to use it for. It's kind of like the whole thing with uh, Netflix and Comcast throttling Netflix because Netflix already paid for the access and you've already paid your Netflix subscription, but Netflix didn't pay Comcast directly. And Netflix said, hey, we'll put our servers on your network. And Comcast said, no, we really just want your money. And until we get your money, we're going to throttle you, but we're not going to say we're throttling you. We'll just say it's bandwidth issues. But yet it was proved over and over again that they were actually being throttled by Comcast. Um, and so there's proposed rules. Um, and again, these aren't permanent yet, but basically it kind of, you know, the internet was originally set up to be free and to be open, but now it's like, you know, if you want, if you want to be able to use the interstate of the internet, it's going to cost extra money. Otherwise you're you're stuck on the bumpy County roads that aren't repaired and you might not be able to get where you want to go because this way that used to work all of a sudden there's a fence there and you can't go anymore. Um, And and the way they phrase the language is they're, they're, they're doing the American thing. They're using the language of freedom. And the line, I was looking for the exact line in the statement, I, I can't find it, but the, the essence of it is we're allowing companies the freedom to choose to make special agreements, uh, as need be. So the FCC right. is saying that we're, we're simply making it a freedom. The companies can make, uh, deals if they want to. Well, the, the allowing a company that freedom is taking away freedom. Um, from everybody else. So again, the net neutrality is a hard thing. It's a terrible word. Not anybody, everybody knows what it means. So I'm going to break it down really simple. We want to treat the internet like the, the public road system in the U S or like the, the water system or something like that. It's there. Take it, use it, pay for it. You got to pay for it. Like I have, I have water piped into my house and I have to pay for it, but I pay the same rate that everybody else has. The more I use, the more I pay. All right. That that's all fine. We're we're totally fine with that. But what what essentially these people are trying to do is to say, oh, you want clean water. Well, that's the clean water upcharge. Yeah. Um if you want, you know, if you want sort of clean water, that's that's what we give to, to other people. Um or the you know, the interstate that it's sort of the toll road mentality. Right? We're gonna we're gonna let you pay to get this this super fast thing that you already paid for. I'm going to take this road that you already paid for with your taxes. You already own it. I'm now going to declare it a toll road and only people who have extra money can use it. So that's essentially what they're trying to do. Those are both bad analogies, but they at least get you in the right direction. They're taking something that already exists and wanting you to pay a fee to use it in the way it was designed to be used. Yeah, it, you know, to do the plumbing analogy, you paid for a one inch pipe, uh, of water coming in to your house, but they, um, 
they said, well, you know, we're only giving out half inches. So, it, it, you know, we're only giving you the water of a half inch pipe. If you want the full amount that you have access to, it's going to cost extra. Um, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. So the, and we're giving people the freedom to make backroom deals and to screw the other guy. So, so you take a guy like me. I have one website that downloads a couple of things out there. Well, now people are, the potential is that people that, that bandwidth providers could come to me and say, look, everybody on our standard tier, we're only going to let them download at 300K. If, yeah. if you want to bump up to our regular tier, well, that's going to cost you some money. Doesn't matter that I already have a hosting provider. I already have bandwidth provided. I already have that. It's to get it to us. So, so say my hosting provider is on Comcast. I don't know who they are, but let's say they are. AT&T would say, well, you know, that's fine for Comcast customers. But if you want to get your stuff on our network, we're going to need you to pay the extra fee. And that's the freedom that they're allowing with this new. Yeah, it, it's the, they're, they're saying that you have to, in order to get the speed that everyone is looking for, you have to pay extra for. Yeah. So they, they can't block websites or content but they can um slow content so in that analogy with that mark was just saying so like let's say comcast or somebody comes in and says well we're gonna make all of your normal users are gonna download at 300k anybody who pays the premium can download at a meg or two megs, or ten megs, or whatever. So there's or a you can pay a premium so that all your people right. can get two megs. Right. Yeah. So, and the one of the other things that I didn't like about this was the wording, because like it says, as the 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 net as it exists today is what they're trying to protect, but the network we have now is not net neutrality net neutral anyway, because there's already bandwidth shaping being put on from internet service providers. So that isn't even a correct way of of wording this law anyway. Yeah. And and you know we're we're not saying that ISPs can't shape bandwidth. If they want to cut torrents down to give room for Netflix, they have that right to do that. But they can't charge Netflix to do that. Right? If they're if they're just managing their own network, that's fine. And that's why this gets fuzzy. Because this is doing things that you want people to do. You want people to prioritize VoIP content, for example. You want oh, yeah. Skype traffic to be prioritized. You want um, Netflix traffic to be prioritized. And and the things that, that don't matter so much, things that can come in any order and be reassembled, like regular data transfers, you want those deprioritized. The consumer wants that. The provider wants that. And that's fine. Nobody says you can't do that. The trouble comes when you charge somebody to do what you should be doing anyway. Yeah, the the trouble comes whenever their maintenance turns into not just de-prioritizing, but actually throttling. And it, it's very hard to prove in a, uh, you know, a legal framework because, you know, I mean, oh, somebody is, oh, look, somebody is snooping or, you know, that the justice department serves a warrant to do speeds. Well, okay, let's, uh, let's un, 
let's lift those restrictions and see everything's fine. Yeah. Well, we, we tested on this day and everything's fine. Well, okay for that day. But what about the other 364 days of the year? You know, why didn't you test then? Well, because we're the justice department and we're too busy. Um, you know, we've got better things to do than to look out for the interest of the common person. Um, you know, the companies are paying us all this money, um, for, uh, campaign contributions and unfortunately that that you know this favors the big companies uh, you know i don't have i don't have the money to pay extra to pay twice for you know i mean it's like it's like you know if i walk into mcdonald's it's i don't want to have to pay 10 bucks to walk into mcdonald's to then pay five bucks for my food and and that's basically yeah, cover charge yeah, yeah. you know you wouldn't go to McDonald's. You would go to Wendy's next door. Um, you know, or all it would take is one restaurant to say, Hey, no cover charges here. But unfortunately, you know, and again, these might not fit the legal definitions of monopolies, but you have, you have ISP monopolies where it's very expensive to start an ISP. And so you might have in big places, you might have three options. You know, I mean, Shuey in Canton, a town of less than three, you know, less than 5,000 people, you know, I, I could throw up and hit three fast food places. They're just, <laughs> you know, you have tons of options, but yet for ISP, uh, you know, and the, the cable companies, you know, it's not like there's another cable company. No, you have the cable company or you have the phone company. And that's really pretty much it. Uh, unless you're out in the country like me and you have satellite or, you know, wire wi-fi broadband semi-broadband um so the 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 little guy is getting screwed and unfortunately um nobody cares enough to stand up and do anything about it people care enough to get mad but unfortunately i mean i don't like this but is this going to influence my vote it it probably won't uh you know i mean if we're just going to be honest and and that's what the people in power are counting on and you know i'm not going to give up internet to protest oh well you're gonna you're going to uh, throttle my bandwidth because i'm not paying the extra fine cancel my thing well then i don't have internet and you know i I can't do that um so you know just we're we're getting screwed yay america (laughs) and and, okay this dovetails right next to our next story uh google apple and a couple of other companies had got gotten together to screw the little guy here again i I have some comments to say about this but i'll let seth give you the details of the story first yes tech workers filed a class action lawsuit against apple google intel and adobe in 2011 alleging that they conspired to refrain from soliciting one another's employees so you know for example let's say hey i work at google i'm good at my job i'm making four hundred thousand dollars a year well apple says hey i want you i'll pay you five hundred thousand and then so i go to my google guy and say hey apple's gonna pay me 500 can you bump it up well the problem is that never happened because these companies got together and said hey i won't hire i won't go after your employees if you don't go after mine and one time what kind of brought this to light is one time a uh, google hr person headhunter type person went after this Apple uh, employee and Steve Jobs sent an email to, um, I think it was Eric Schmidt at Google saying, Hey, you know, 
you, you're going against our agreement basically. And Schmidt was like, dude, I'm sorry. Uh, don't worry. We'll take care of that person who was later fired. And like at one point, I don't remember if it was in this article or another one I read. Um, Apple kind of approached, uh, 3Com who or Palm at the time and said, Hey, don't go after our talent. We won't go after yours. Uh, and if you do go after our talent, you know, we'll sue you on, uh, patent violations. And Palm was like, um, our patents are better than yours. We'll go after whoever we want to stuff it, Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs said, you caught me on bluffing and didn't really do anything. So, um, that was kind of a humorous little side, but are, but yeah. So anyway, this made it to trial. And a lot of times the companies, um, that they're like, well, we're not saying we did anything wrong, but here we'll pay the settlement. Um, kind of a $3 billion settlement. That's a big right. deal. So yes. here, here's my thinking about this. The first off, this is, this is illegal. Whether you think it's right or wrong, it's illegal. You can't do that as a company. It's anti-competitive. And in the U.S., mm-hmm. we are all about capitalism and, and competition. Secondly, the problem was not that they didn't solicit. If they had stuck with that agreement, it probably wouldn't be a problem. It was that they refused to hire. So there's a difference there. I work at Google. Apple calls me up, a headhunter, and says, hey, we hear good things about you. Come over here. That's what the agreement was not to do. The what actually happened was I work at Apple. I'm not happy working at Apple. I'm going to go to Google. Google won't even interview me. That's that's a problem. That's what made people mad. Was you know this thing that Seth was talking about? The, the a guy did come in for an interview and was fired for interviewing a qualified uh, qualified applicant. That's what brought all this to right. to bear. Now. Do I think that these this group of tech workers are, uh, deserve $3 billion? No. I think that's a little ridiculous. But in the U.S. legal system, money uh, apologies take the form of money. And when you're talking about Apple and Google, the only apology that matters has a billion at the end of it. So I, I don't think this was reasonable, but I think it was the only way to get anybody's attention. If the fine had been a couple hundred million, nobody would have paid any attention. Right. Well, the other question is how much do the lawyers end up tacking on to that yeah. for fees and services? A third, well, but third of I, it. I don't know, Mark. Here's the thing. If you divide it by the number of workers, it's only, it's less than $50,000 per worker. So lost wages over a period of five or 10 years when you're at that level, yeah. that that's not unreasonable. You know, if anything, that's a low number. So I, I'm not defending Google or, or Microsoft or, or, excuse me, Google or Apple here the, at all. What they did was illegal. Um, I just think it was, I think this stuff goes on all the time. The problem was they made a recording of it. <laughs> Nixon, Nixon got in trouble for recording what other presidents did. Um, right. Google and Apple got in trouble for going on record, but doing what other people do. Um, yeah. you, just, you know, you can have somebody sign a non-compete. That, that's legal. But companies can't sign a non-compete. They're not allowed to do that. Well, All right. And then they got their fingers slapped. So, Yeah, and I wonder, between these four big companies, how much does $3 billion mean? It, it said they could have been up to $9 billion, uh, but they settled for $3 billion. But again, um, that's a slap on the hand for most of them. Yeah. Yeah, so even if they split it equally, $750 million each, I mean, you know, yeah. what does that mean? Google's profits are down 
for that quarter. Now, what it means I, is they, they don't have Wagyu beef in the cafeteria for a week. Right. They have regular beef. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, no uh, no super grand latte for you, just the regular size okay. on your third refill today. Reuse, um, your, reuse your cup. Today in history, um, some of the greatest things ever came out of a place that most people have never heard of, and that's Xerox Park, Palo Alto Research Center. They invented yeah. the world as we know it, and today they invented the... Yes, April 7th, 1981, Xerox, 27th. or April 27th, sorry, 1981, Xerox Park introduces the computer mouse. So, um, and know, it was made out of a block of wood. It was awesome. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and if you have the, if you ever saw the old mouse with the ball in it and you ever took that ball out, there was like, um, there was like, two bars one was horizontal and one was uh, or you know they one was like the x-axis and one was like the y-axis because that's how the computer interprets the mouse as it rolls it moves the pointer along the x and the y-axis you know whereas we see just this free mouse trailing along well it's plotting points in the x-y-axis and adjusting the cursor position um and that was introduced by xerox you know the copier company is really responsible in a lot of ways for technology as we know it today. And, you know, and they make, you know, what do they do? Their document management mostly. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't, the, the original monitors were eight and a half by 11. Did you know that? Um, and their windowing system wasn't windows. It was sheets. And so you could lay one sheet of paper on top of another. You could dog in the ear, the corner, um, to, to move it. Their original GUI, they invented the GUI and, and gave tours and said, Hey, um, come on, Bill Gates, come look at it. Come on, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, come look at it. They didn't care. They weren't interested in selling it because they, they couldn't figure out a way to run it through a copy machine. Uh, so they invented the original GUI. Um, they invented, um, a little thing called Ethernet was invented there. Maybe you've heard of that. Um, the guy who did that, uh, went on to, to found a small company. Maybe you've heard of called 3Com. Um, at one point in time, it was said that a hundred of the the smartest people in the world worked at Xerox park, but they never had more than 90 employees. Um, hmm. they were that smart. Uh, so anyway, um, that I love this sort of stuff. We've got to do another history show because I could just geek out on this sort of stuff forever. <laughs> um, okay. Moving on to the discussion of the day and, and this Eddie's email, um, and some of my experiences recently kind of put this in my mind and the the topic of the show the keyboard is still king right so we we were talking about this this coin this phrase i coined four years ago or so now the tabletification of the os everybody is rushing to do it mac is is rushing to do it windows is rushing to do it even some of our linux distributions are rushing to do it and and i just want to have a discussion about it because i don't understand I told you, you know, I went and bought a new laptop. Why did I choose this laptop? The keyboard. I went and typed on the keyboards and found the one that felt the best to me because the specs are all roughly the same. Mm -hmm. For the two uh, Raspberry Pis I just ordered today, I ordered keyboards and mice to go with them. Um, The keyboard is still king. There's a... Ryan Seacrest is being sued by BlackBerry for inventing a, a keyboard that goes on the iPhone. 
that they say infringes on his uh, uh, patents, on their patents. Um, t- keyboards are still everywhere. Everywhere I go, people are interacting with their computers via keyboards. Why the crap are the people in charge of these things so obsessed with touchscreens? I don't it's understand the new it. Pretty. It's the new pretty. It's just like, you know, why does everyone seem to need to buy new cars every four years or whatever? Yeah. It's because everyone's trying to keep up with the Joneses. Somebody showed a, hey, looky, looky what I can do with this new touchscreen. And so now it's a push to get everyone to buy a touchscreen. My laptop has a touchscreen. I don't touch it. I mean, it I annoys me it. because when I go to wipe a piece of dust off of it, I click something. Um, <laughs> you know, I would rather not have it. It's a laptop. It's not a tablet. My phone has a touchscreen, and I like it. That's the interface. That five-inch mm-hmm. screen, you know, I've got I've got an iPad, and I've got an Android tablet, both. But my Android tablet has a keyboard, and I use the keyboard more than I use the, the touch interface. And maybe I'm just, you know, an old guy doing my get-off-my-lawn bit. But here's the thing. There's a couple of the, you know, what Chris just said, the the putting fins on a Cadillac like they did in the 50s. Well, yep. you bought a car last year. We got to give you some reason to buy a car this year. Let's put fins on it. Um, and so, you know, let's let's do that sort of thing. Um, and I don't, I think that's some of it, definitely, because we, we can't compete on specs anymore because processors have become a commodity. And yep. whether you've got three cores or four cores or eight cores, it doesn't really matter. Um, and RAM is RAM's in the same boat too because RAM is so dirt cheap anymore. You know, I just bought eight gigs for a client um, for fifty bucks. Yeah, and hard drive specs don't matter anymore. Uh, so you got to have a touch screen, and so and and Windows eight is all about the touch interface. That's the first yep. thing they present you with is that um, uh, Metro. You know, it's not Metro anymore. Uh, that that Windows eight touch uh, tiles interface. But that's such a weird, and one of my biggest complaints about Windows 8 is it's two OSs and it can't decide what it wants to be. For example, if you touch the uh, Internet Explorer icon while in that Metro tile screen, you get a whole different version of Internet Explorer that behaves different and looks different than if you're on the desktop and you double-click the Internet Explorer icon. It's two OSs in one. It's multi-personality. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's not a good thing in this case. Um, and then there's this, this mythological post PC world that everybody keeps, uh, pundits keep saying we're, we're in the post PC world. This is the post PC world. I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing it as PC and, you know, the, the PC is still most people's primary device. Now I understand there are people out there that live on their iPad. I want to, he- I don't want to hear from you. I know you're out there and I get it, but people who need to do work, whether it's, spreadsheets whether it's writers whether it's uh, designers whether it's coders they want a keyboard and a mouse and maybe a wacom tablet right maybe that's what the the touchscreen is going to replace but that's still a fringe market and i don't understand why we're trying to shove this thing into the mainstream shuttleworth is sending ubuntu down this this path of of tabletizing the the entire os why? What does it serve? What good is it? My question is, does anybody really want it? Again, I, I, I'm fully willing to recognize I could be an outlier here. 
I want to hear from you, the audience. Does anybody actually want this thing? I don't see it. Even when I go to the, you know, I, I, because I'm just weird that way. Sometimes I go and just hang out at Best Buy and just watch people buy because that's how I learn what regular people are doing. And the touchscreen is a feature. You just, you check that off the box, but I've never seen anybody purchase something based on the touchscreen. They look at the keyboard. They look at the software to run. They look at the processors. Um, you know, most of the time it's what does it come with? What is the bundled software in it? That's what people make their decision on. I don't think See, people really want a touchscreen. Uh, there's one exception to that, Mark. And if you've never handled this, the PC I'm going to quote on here in a second, it's, this is the moment when I actually had it in my hands that I had the, oh, this is what Windows 8 is for. The Lenovo Yogas. Right, but that's a convertible PC. It is, but that is where the Windows 8 interface is primary and hugely, uh, this is what they should be handing out and saying, this is Windows 8. Because when you have the, the convertible laptop that goes not just you pull it off and it's now a tablet, but it actually folds together so that way you have a tablet and you can unfold it and it's a PC. That is when Windows 8 actually excels because you have both environments. Um, when I sold a Lenovo Yoga to a lawyer, now a lawyer is what? They type all day. They're writing dispositions. They're writing this. They're writing that. She wanted the keyboard and it had to feel nice in her hands. When she's at trial, she didn't want to have to have another device. So by flipping it into the tablet mode, she then has a read-only mode where she can read everything she's typed and it's light enough for her to carry around that will then scale and twist and turn as she moves around. It wasn't until I had that PC in my hand that it, that Windows 8 finally made sense and I could understand why this interface is going to take o- is is trying to take over. Do I like the interface? No. I think it's a personally because of the way I use a computer, I would never ever want a tablet OS because I don't deal with it all. Uh, you know, I'm not carrying around my giant, you know, monster of a computer. I, I just don't do it. There's no reason for me to do it. And that is so, where we are not the everyday computer user because the everyday is not the everyday computer user. It's the everyday computer consumer. You know, they're on Facebook, they're taking selfies and uploading them to Instagram and texting short little ha ha LOL. What's up? Time wasted. My brain is dying kind of thing. They don't use the computer. They simply consume content off of it. And if all you are interested in is consuming content, then you don't want the extra mass or weight of an additional keyboard. You simply have the touch screen because it's all in one. It is lighter. Um, and so it doesn't take up as much room and it's easier for you to hold in your hand and to carry it with you rather than this folding kind of thing. And okay. that is. So let me stop you there, Seth. I get that. All right. I, I was an early proponent of the tablet PC. I owned three of them 
back with with Windows Tablet Edition with the stylus that you could write on. Yep. I love the handwriting recognition. It was awesome. I go to a meeting, I lay it flat, I write my notes, I, I circle those things, I turn them into text, I can email them instantly. It was wonderful. That's fine. That has a use case. What bugs me is Microsoft is putting this on 22-inch PCs you know, with that are designed to be put on a desk and used in a home. It's fine to have a mobile OS or a mobile version of the OS. Even again, the 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 tablet PC, the Windows tablet PC uh, version, when when you were at a desk, those things went away. They the those features were still available, but they it was regular Windows XP. But with Windows 8, it's it's you get the split personality thing, and you can't make it go away. There are things that you can only get. By going to the tiles interface, there are certain control panel features that you can't even get to from the desktop. So the and and the way Shuttleworth has decided to do it is the worst of both worlds. He's forcing you to use the touch type interface on an operating system that almost everybody uses with a keyboard and mouse. Apple is has decided that we don't need to share windows anymore. Uh, we don't need to see more than one window anymore. We, you're going to see one window at a time. So you get this MacBook Air uh, with a, a, a quad-core processor in it and this retina display that begs to be sharing sharing data, and every time you open something, it goes to a, a full-screen mode. Now, right now, you can take it out of that, but their plan, their announced roadmap, is to make that not an option anymore, that you will only see one thing at a time. So and we're dumbing down. Phone. Right. We're dumbing down to the lowest common denominator, and that pisses me off. We, we are, this is the future. We are living in the future. Things are supposed to be better. We're not supposed to gradually dumb things down and make them worse and call it progress. This is regress. Well, now, is that, I mean, thinking on that process, this could be going down the same line as what I've been hearing from a lot of people that we are dumbing down our education. Is this a, a product of education being dumbed down to the lowest common denominator too? I, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> uh, you're welcome to discuss that if you want. Uh, we're we're this would be a six hour show. Uh, I know if we did that. I, I just wanted to bring that up because it's one of those things that drives me crazy. So, so interestingly, just to, to from my own experience, since we've started talking, having this discussion, I've interacted with my machine exclusively with my finger using the touch screen. Um, it's less efficient. My arm's actually getting tired because when mm-hmm. I'm working the camera and I'm going back and forth and when I'm switching between the notes, and every time I do it, the uh, screen on my laptop vibrates and my my um, camera is jittery for those watching. So it is it is literally a lower quality experience. I'm trying it just just to see if I can figure it out, but it's I don't understand why all of the three major OSs are so hell bent on doing this thing. That is not a good thing to do. I mean, I understood why we had to move from GNOME 2 to GNOME 3 and why that was an initial step back, right? So you're moving to something that's going to grow. I get that. But I don't see this Windows tile thing ever getting better for a desktop user. Oh, no, it's never going to. What's going to happen is people are going to exchange carpal tunnel syndrome for tennis elbow or uh, rotator cuff problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and everybody monitor elbow now. You know the the uh, um, the minority report interface where Tom Cruise is s- s- swishing things around. Everybody looks at that and thinks, "Man, that's cool." 
I sure wouldn't actually want to live with it. That would be a terrible way to compute. That would be an awesome way to do demonstrations. Or if you're a product seller, that would be awesome. But if you're just the grunge monkey in the back corner crunching numbers all day long, that would be hell on earth. Excuse my use of language, but that would be, in my opinion, I would rather have my eyeballs skewered with forks and spoons than dealing with two-handed touch, moving things around all over the place. Oh, I would drive me nuts. Maybe people who talk with their hands wouldn't mind it, but I would, oh, no. Yeah, so 33 years ago, the mouse was invented, and it's still the the input device of choice. Even I see every every day, I see somebody with a laptop with a multi-touch trackpad and a USB mouse plugged into it yep. and using the mouse. There's a reason for that. It is good. It's a good paradigm. I can do, I can move all the way from the top uh, pixel, top left pixel of my screen to the bottom right pixel of my screen and move my fingers a quarter of an inch. It's efficient movement. It's effective. It's fast. If I have a 27 inch monitor and I'm trying to drag something around, that is incredibly wasteful and, and it's not a good way to do things. And why are we inflicting that, that mobile paradigm on the desktop in experience? Well, well but Mark, I mean, the desktop in- is dead. Right. Ah. It's a post-PC world anymore. Right. right. Well, and everything is living online anyway now. So, honestly, we could actually be selling PCs that have lower power, like Chromebooks, and be pushing them on everybody and still be saving the planet, making it safe for children. Oh, and, yeah, who who wants to really live in a Chromebook? Honestly, I don't. So I, I didn't mean for this to be a total rant. It's a real, it's an honest question. Somebody tell me why the heck this is happening because I don't understand. And I, and I'm usually pretty good at understanding the way other people think. I can see, I'm, I don't agree with your position, but I can see where you're coming from. I don't even see where this is coming from. Yeah, I don't either. You're not the only one, Mark. Um, the only time I ever hear somebody ask for a touch screen is because they're doing the keeping up with the Joneses mentality and they just want it because it's a feature. Yeah. I work, uh, where I work, I have two 22 inch monitors and I, you know, I have them Jealous. spread out. Yeah. I have them spread out. Uh, and I use, I use the whole thing, right? And I've got a spreadsheet here. I've got my email here. I've got, uh, you know, another spreadsheet over here. I've got them, uh, tiled side by side. And according to all three of the major um, OS manufacturers right now, I'm an edge case. Well, here's the thing. All thousand plus employees at my office building have that same setup. And they all use it. There's a reason that they have that setup. The company didn't just decide to spend extra money on 22-inch dual monitors for everybody. It's because it's the way we can get things done more efficiently. Efficiently, They're trying to maximize efficiency. And the only reason they would spend the money is if they could see the ROI on the back end. Yep. Is my company just a weird outlier? We're the only people in the world who value the productivity of large screens and multiple tiled uh, workspaces? I don't think so. I can't 
I can't say that I'm in the same boat, Mark. At work, I have two, well, I'm not quite as spoiled as you. Mine are only 20 inch screens swap, but I have two of them. Um, and I come home to my one 24 inch screen and I'm missing. I want a second one or a third one even. Cause there are times when I'm in my shop in here working and I'm remoted into 17 computers. You just, you run out of real estate. And if you're working on, you know, lots of things that don't need a, a, a prime time visual real estate, you want to sideload them onto a different screen to keep track of them. And, and you can't do that in an environment that strictly reduces you to a one view at a time. Yeah, and as our listener Addy mentions, he said he's got a whole screen dedicated dedicated to his his live tiles. Well, here's the interesting thing about Windows 8 live tiles: they give you information, and so you have them all spread out on the screen. You can get a lot of information. What you can't do is manipulate that information, or or add to that information, or synthesize that information in any usable way. All you can do is view it. He's got a view only experience. He's got a whole monitor dedicated to a view only experience. Which is fine if all you're doing is consuming. Right. But if you need to interact with the data or the window or the tile, you lose that, that consumption mode and you are now in creation mode. And that has been my biggest component about why I don't want to have, you know, iPads coming into my school district at this point. They're a consumption only device. There is no creation done on any, on most of those tablets. And that's what we're turning computers into, are tablets. And so we're going to go from a consum- or a creation model to a consumption model, which in a school or even in a hospital, that doesn't work. Yeah. But Chris, it looks pretty, and don't you love the children? <laughs> or the I mean, planet. all your arguments are invalid because don't you love the children, and besides, it looks pretty. I mean, that, that's what you're up against. It's green, right? Look at how awesome this tablet looks. And look, we got 4 billion apps in the app store, you know? And even if yeah. you discount all the farting and flashlight apps, there's still at least a half a billion in there that do other crap. So, I mean. But you can only use them one at a time. Yeah. But that, what else do you need? It looks pretty. And it's for the children. Your argument is invalid. I win. In the planet, it's got to be green. Yeah. Right? For the children and for the green planet. Yeah. I mean, don't you love the planet? You're wasting resources by having... <laughs> you can only do one thing at a time. You only need one tile to look at. Just switch to another tile. You don't need to waste that space. Don't yeah. you love how, the planet, you child How eager? greedy are you wanting to do more than one thing at a time? How, yeah. yeah. Your argument's invalid. Uh, maybe maybe we want to go back to Windows 3.1 where you could only do one thing at a time. Oh, God. But that, no. that's what this whole thing feels like to me. It's a regression. I mean, I came from that, right? So the kids today don't know that. They also don't know that they're walking around with these giant Beats headphones. We went away from that. They were big, and we made them small because smaller is better. And now they're going back to big because big is cool. That's not going to last. They're going to go back to small because small is better. Uh, and I see the same thing wow. with this, this thing. This is a fad. This is a technological fad. And the kids who are growing up in it, and, and by kids, I mean, even as, as, uh, old as 20 year olds, they don't understand. They don't, they didn't go back to that world where computers could only do one thing. They don't live in that world. They don't understand. And so I think once they, they, they're going to get what they want and find that they don't want what they got. 
Yeah, I, I think you're in the same. I think you're right, Mark. I think once once the the cons, the buying consumption people, you know, the they they have the the one interface only devices for a while, and then they go, wow, I can only do, I can only write email. I yeah. can't do anything else. Let's all go back to dumb terminals, you know, and I'll rent time on a server because that's better in some way. That way, I, I'm not. I don't have to have my own computer. It's there's a reason we're not doing these things anymore. We grew out of them. We got better. Let's not go back. The keyboard is still king. Well, and let's you know, viewers and listeners, bring us some feedback on this. What is your take on the tabletification of the OS? Do you think it's a great idea? Do you think it's a bad idea? Do you think we're blowing smoke, or are we right? Yeah, and I don't want to hear anybody attack me because I don't like it. I need a reason. All right? Don't tell me I didn't spend enough time with it. Yeah. You can attack me because I don't like it. That's fine. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you need, you need reason and logic for Mark. Yeah. He sets a much higher bar than I do on these things. <laughs> All right. So I intentionally to try to keep this show short tonight, I didn't bring my battery plug with me for uh for this for this laptop i've been running Silly on battery part. it's not plugged in because i thought that'll drive it but i got four percent battery left so this discussion is now over <laughs> and we have to move on to the uh the dev slash random okay are we ready for me yes go okay um go to the ninth watch Dot com. This is a thing. This is one of the longest running experiments on the web. Basically, do solids flow has liquid? Um, in the amount of time <laughs> this has been up, there have been nine drops fall from this beaker. And if you go to the ninthwatch.com, um, you can actually go and look at the live feed and see. And it, earlier this year, they actually had a thing fall out of the beaker and it recently just broke. Um, but, and somebody actually got to see it. So now they have a webcam set up and it, even though it's the ninthwatch.com, it's actually called the 10th watch now and you can go click on it. And it's the pitch drop has the Guinness world record for the longest running lab experience. So um, it's a viscosity experiment um go and then say the next time somebody asks you is there anything more boring than watching paint dry you can say yes watching pitch drop is even more boring <laughs> um but anyway it's just a cool experiment um go look around and see and you know just make your kids read about it and you know do something about it over spring break or summer you know if you're bad i'm going to make you watch a re- make you write a research paper over the pitch drop and then they'll be uh, pit- good Pitch is, is like tar, but thicker. Uh, right. Think asphalt. They essentially put asphalt in a funnel and said, how long will it take it to drain out of the funnel? Wow. Right. And they started this a very long time ago. And, uh, 309,000 hours ago. Began the experiment in 1927 and it's still going. Yeah. The, the, well, the, the, the website is saying they've, they've logged. Three hundred and nine thousand hours. Yeah, so nineteen nineteen twenty seven. So coming up on ninety years ago. Wow! Um, somebody decided to just put it up and see what would happen. How do they know the the pitch hasn't dried out? They don't care. <laughs> they just want to see if it'll move. 
Yeah, the experiment I, demonstrates the fluidity and high viscosity of pitch, a derivative of tar once used for waterproofing boats. At room temperature, pitch feels solid, even brittle, and can easily be shattered with a blow from a hammer. It's quite amazing then to see that pitch at room temperature is actually fluid. So in the almost 90 years, nine drops have fallen out of this. So have, you, have you ever been in a really, really old house, like 150-plus-year-old house, and noticed how the windows are kind of wavy? You mm-hmm. ever seen that? Yeah. That's the glass flowing. Yes, huh. glass flows. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. And so it gets wavy. They put it in. It was smooth. It was solid. It was fully uh, transparent. And over 100-plus years, the glass is flowing down. And eventually, if it takes long enough, the glass will actually pool in the bottom of the windowsill. Huh. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. That I did not know. Uh, if you if you ever go to like Monticello, um, um, Ben Franklin's house, or, or any place like that that's that's been relatively undisturbed for hundreds of years, you will see that effect. And it's, it's pretty cool. And it's not that their glass was not as good as ours. It's just glass does it. Glass is a liquid. Just a very, very viscous liquid. Yeah, mm-hmm. nowadays nothing is built to last that long, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> All right, so that's the uh, the the Dev Random, the 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 ninth watch. So here's the part of the show where I tell you how to comment uh, comment at us. So we we read the comments on the show, we agreed with some, we disagreed with others. We like it when you write in. We like it when you argue with us. The, that's fun for us and it gives us fodder for new shows. So the place you can do that is over at elementop.com. Uh, you can click the contact us button at the top of the page. You can watch this show live every week as we do it, uh, starting at roughly 8 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday nights at elementop.com slash live. Uh, that's just an embed of our YouTube channel, which is, uh, just search Mark A. Cockrell on YouTube. Uh, that's me. Uh, and, and we, we like it when people, uh, uh, interact with us there. But if you can't be there live, if you can't make it appointment watching, uh, you can always, uh, feedback while you're, uh, while you're listening to the show. Door to door geek does that all the time. He'll stop the show and make a phone call and, uh, he'll call 559 am Opie and leave us a voicemail. And sometimes he'll leave another voicemail toward the end of the show <laughs> saying, Oh yeah, that thing I said, never mind. Um, he's done that at least once. Um, but anyway, it's fun too. That's that's how you can do that. And if you don't, if you're a web guy, if you're you're on a tablet and you can only do one thing at a time, uh, you can go to elementopi.com and click the contact us button at the top of the page. Um, enter your phone number and Google Voice will call you until they decide to make that not free. Um, so there you go. Please let us know uh, what you think. And because my laptop just told me that the battery is critically low, I now have five minutes remaining. This this is good. I, actually, next week I'll have to come in with it half charged, so it won't be a two-hour <laughs> show. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for watching, Chris, Seth. Thanks for being the awesome guys which you, that you are. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Next. Everyday Next.